0: Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina.
1: Hi, good afternoon. Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. I'm Phyllis Amon here with my co-host Rubina Chaudhry. How are you doing, Rubina? Very,
2: very well, Phyllis.
1: Yeah, I'm here in Connecticut. You're in California. So we represent uh, the middle of the country and both sides of the country. So that's really awesome. Great. So today... uh, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about uh, residential needs, and we talked about nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities, by another name. And today we're going to talk about assisted living communities. And there's just so much interesting information that you and I both found out about it, didn't we?
2: Definitely, it's amazing how much we we don't know that until we just start looking just below below the surface.
1: Absolutely. So I was struck a, a while ago, and I wrote about it in my book, Overdue Quality Care for Elder Citizens, about one, what, how some of this began. And it began with this one woman, um, Karen Brown Wilson. I thought it was a bit of an interesting story. Did you have an opportunity to read the story as well? I have read some part of it, but
2: I think you definitely know this story better.
1: Okay, so it started in uh, Portland, actually it started in Portland, Oregon. The the original uh, name was Park Place. But how it came about was uh, Karen Brown Wilson uh, was a a teenager when her mother had a stroke. And um, she was in college at the time and her mother was no longer able to care for herself. So she moved into a nursing home. Her mother was paralyzed on one side of her body, and her speech was impaired, but her thinking wasn't. And um, as time went on, um, she moved from different nursing homes to live near one or other of her children. None of them really were capable at that time of having her live in their homes. And then uh, Karen Brown Wilson, uh, when she graduated from college, decided to pursue Um, elder care and she was telling her mother about some of her pursuits and her mother said well why don't you do something for people like me and um, she really did delve into elder care uh, later on in years to move the story along she got married and she and her husband raised uh, quite a bit of money and they opened the first Pseudo assisted living uh, kind of um, building, I should say, in 1983. That's amazing. That's amazing, and that also goes to
2: demonstrate <clears throat> one more time the power of one person with passion and with commitment, and how much one can can achieve. You know, we had a similar story for the Grand Parents Day, where one woman she made it her mission. Uh, so it really, one
1: person can change things. Absolutely. And so what happened was um, she cre- they, were, they built more facilities. They did get funding for this. They had backers, and they built more and more buildings. And then finally, uh, it caught the attention of some investors, people from Wall Street. They got involved. And then after a time... Because it became more of a business, she she sold the business and kind of went into a different direction. Um, she actually is involved with an aging initiative and does work in uh, Central America, I believe it is now. But um, the the assisted livings that people know, Sunrise and Atria and a lot of these places, the Brookdales, this is where a lot of them got their start. So it's really quite an interesting story. It is definitely a very interesting story. And uh, we
2: also learned a lot of statistics, uh, you know, that uh, there are many, many assisted care facilities and, and the evolution of the facilities. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Phyllis?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, a review by the National Survey of Residential Care Facilities, I was amazed by this. I had no idea that there are now 31,000 plus assisted living communities nationwide and approximately 1 million seniors live in these 31,000 assisted living communities that's pretty amazing very amazing yes mm-hmm. and it's it says it's assisted living is the fastest growing residential housing concept for older americans so in reality there are more assisted livings than there are nursing homes because the statistic I knew of in terms of nursing homes were that there were over fifteen thousand nursing homes in this country. So assisted livings are obviously a faster growing form of, of living for seniors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really amazing the, the vastness of, uh, of this particular mode of uh, accommodation and its, uh, its evolution. Uh, um, continue, Phyllis, I'm just in awe. <laughs> <laughs> I am, truly.
1: So uh, it turns out that the federal and state governments now support the assisted living concept because there are many people who are, I'll I'll use the term turned off to nursing homes or skilled nursing facilities for a variety of reasons. And so now, which I thought was fascinating, I had no idea that federal and state funded Medicaid programs are now paying for assisted living care. And more than 120,000 residents receive assisted living care paid for in part by Medicaid waivers.
2: I'm yes, that, that is true, actually. I Last week in Olive, uh, you know, I represent Olive Community Services and we have the Live, Learn, Thrive program. And we happen to have our speakers to talk about long-term care insurance. And it's amazing how relevant the coincidence of the information is as well. They also mentioned that for people that qualify, under Medicaid, there is some, uh, some supplementation and, um, and as we read this uh, article, this historical article, I think it's been the evolution and the recognition by, by government um, and, and private industry that the needs of the aging population need to be addressed. And that uh, long- care term care homes is not the only option. So in there was a US Senate special Committee on Aging that, uh, that was assembled, and they called it the Assisted Living Work group, and it, it was formed in 2003. So they've done fair bit of research to to see how to proactively address the needs of our growing population
1: right but as as you said that they there is just starting to become uh, that's not the right word uh, to use that oversight i should say is kind has kind of lagged behind the assisted living concept there's tremendous oversight in long term care Skilled mm-hmm. nursing facilities, but not so much in assisted living, and that's where that's being developed um, now, so to speak. I'd say there's mm-hmm. more oversight that
2: people. Uh, it's a, it's assess. an evolving it's an evolving field, and um, and the other thing we learned is that it's addressed at the state level. The regulations are addressed at the state level right uh, and another thing that i think we can talk about is that uh, what are some of the things um, or the level of care that's available in different uh, forms of assisted living
1: well that's a great question or a great statement to open up the conversation about about that very thing levels of care because i actually had visited an assisted living near where i live several months ago and I was surprised, I myself didn't know about the range of services that are able to be provided to someone in an assisted living community. Um, it's not just a, it is a social environment primarily, but if people do need help with bathing or toileting or dressing or feeding, they, they can get that help. Uh, sometimes there's a cost associated with it, but there are levels of care beyond just somebody who's independent and just can't live on their own any longer. Mm-hmm. Well, it's
2: a, it's definitely an evolution from living independent to living in assisted living. Um, as the listeners might recall, my sharing the story that my mom is right now living in uh, in assisted living, and she's 91 years of age. And it is like replicating your home you know she has one bedroom apartment her own bathroom a little kitchenette but at the same time you know help is available as as she needs
1: it right so as people are thinking about assisted living and i think we'll talk about more of this in the third segment about questions to ask what to look for mm-hmm. that th- there are really three levels there's like um a low level, a moderate level, and a high level. So if somebody is completely independent or able to get around, maybe they need a walker, but they, they're able to function independently, they would be more likely to go into a low-level assisted living facility. But as their care needs increase, they might need to go into a moderate level or a high level, a higher level. Um, and that depends on the licensure that the assisted living facility holds what they can provide
2: right it, it's a combination of licensing requirements and uh, and and all those factors and believe me as uh, as the caregiver of an elderly person i i went through all those uh, all that research and um, and uh, questions and answers and i wish i knew more of the questions to ask but i think we did uh, did relatively okay and uh, some of the services that uh, that assisted living you know can provide are, are are really just supplementing your everyday living services you know social recreational uh, meals housekeeping laundry S- uh, some may or may not offer transportation uh, but right. they are, But for um, for majority of their needs, they're living on their own. They're living independently. But it's more their physical needs are being supported, and they have the social environment of having the people around them.
1: Right. And as you were speaking, my eyes glanced through this article that you and I have both read. That as of um, July two thousand thirteen, close to forty five. States provide some public funding under Medicaid waivers.
2: hmm So that's interesting. So looks like the uh, the the Medicare Med, Medicaid system is uh, is addressing uh, addressing this need, this growing need, uh, for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and. Um, a lot of older people and their families. Actually, there are people who proactively make that decision. They don't wait until uh, they're at the point where they need help. They just decide to move into into a, an assisted living community, and maybe that would be a lower-level community where it's uh-huh. more socialization. And you and I had this conversation the other day about preparing for these things in advance, and... Um, I suggested that maybe we should talk about whether we've prepared in advance because I'm 66, you're a few years older than I am, and have we done that for ourselves and for our families? Yeah,
2: that's a very good question, and I think part of the benefit of being involved in this conversation around uh, around elder care is that it's helping us address that for ourselves. I. Would think I'm i I'm prepared, but this last week we had this presentation, and I you know went in as an attendee because our coordinator had arranged it. I didn't look to see who the speaker was going to be, but I was very surprised that uh, these gentlemen, uh, two retired nurses, uh, no two not retired two RNs, saw this need and they're now promoting uh, this uh, product. It's a life insurance product with a living benefit, oh. and that means that you can have long-term care if you qualify, even at our age. And to make one step further, then I invited those uh, this, those same people to my office on Saturday, and my husband and I, my brother-in-law, and, and a couple of uh, my olive friends were there. And we got more information into it. And uh, you know what, uh, Phyllis? I signed up. Oh, good for you. You're ahead of me. (laughs) I I signed up. You know, um, yes, we've been saving and preparing and all that. But I think this, uh, because one one of our olive board members runs, you know, Elderly Care Home. Oh. You know, it's RCFE. I oh, think didn't, I, the, didn't I meet her? I think I met yes, her. Yes, you met Nas Hi. Okay. She runs uh, RCFE. And when we talked to her about it, and she said, no, if you don't have long-term insurance, I don't accept you. No. <laughs> so I put it in our, in our olive director's chat. I said, if we want to be eligible to go to Naz's place, let's listen to these people and let's, uh, you know, let's uh, take a look. I think as long as you're under 75 and healthy... Uh, you can apply yes at this age it's a bit more expensive than at the younger ages and we recommend people to you know take a look at it when they're younger and i definitely will be suggesting this uh, this concept
1: to my my children
2: and others as well Uh, actually
1: you, didn't you say, not to interrupt, didn't you say that you said to your daughter something about, like, I got you a gift? And when yes, you said I did.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. My daughter came home, and I was just running in from this meeting, and I said, you know what? And my daughter is a radiologist. Um, she's a doctor. I said, hey, I bought a gift for myself and a gift for you guys. And she says, what? And I, long-term care insurance I applied. She said, yes, that indeed is a gift. And I need to do that too. And she, you know, actually sent a message to her provider who's been quoting them to, to look at that. Uh, and uh, part of the reason why I had them come was because we want to evaluate it before we suggested to Olive members or Olive attendees.
1: That makes a lot of sense. So we're going to take a short break now and uh, return for a wonderful interview with Rajiv Mahandru about assisted living facilities, especially in Canada.
2: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed.
1: VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: Phyllis Amon, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phylliseldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm as well as founder and president of all of community services of 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Ravina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy.
3: Welcome back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. We're going to continue the discussion on assisted living residential communities. With our guest, Rajiv Mahandru. Rabina, would you introduce our guest, please?
4: Definitely, Phyllis. Rajiv Mahindru has more than 27 years of experience in the field of healthcare, social work, and operations management. Rajiv has worked both for non-profit organizations as well as for government organizations, both in Canada and in the United Kingdom his areas of work include aging services mental health geriatric care physical and developmental disabilities and many others most of his experience has been in residential and nursing care assisted living supportive housing community social work hospital social work and dementia services Rajiv has several credentials among them is his master's degree in social work from the University of the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford, BC, Canada, and his bachelor's degree from Buckinghamshire University in UK? Rajiv, welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy.
5: Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be um, on your show.
3: Uh, thanks so much. So, Rajiv, how long have you been working in um, residential care or assisted livings?
5: So I actually started my career in 92 in residential care, funnily enough. And then I um, sort of moved around. I became in community social work, hospital social work, um, operated some day programs. But big part of my career has been, I would say, out of the 27-odd years, I would say a good 20-plus years I have been involved in either assisted living or residential nursing care. Oh, okay. So in, in
3: uh, the assisted living space, uh, what role do you play?
5: I'm the operations uh, manager.
3: Oh, okay. And I have
5: been in um, management about 20 years, so pretty much.
3: So y- you work in Canada, correct?
5: <laughs> That's right. I work in British Columbia, Canada, and uh, I am the person responsible for the operations management of a, an assisted living facility.
3: But you also, have you worked in assisted livings in the United Kingdom as well? Or you yes, just I went did.
5: to.
3: School? No, so I did. No, I
5: did.
3: Go ahead, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead.
5: So you were asking about the differences? Yeah. I think primarily the main difference in um, UK and BC is, I will not say UK and Canada because Canada is a large country and um, each province operates separately. So I I find the main difference here is that uh, in UK, the local authority managed it. So like if you work, for example, in Anaheim or Fullerton, that authority will operate the care facilities, whereas in BC, it's the whole health authority operates it, which covers a huge area. So that's one of the main differences. And the second difference is the, the funding revenue. Um, in Canada, in BC, what happens is that the clients or the families' assets and equities are not taken into account. Um, the government supports you financially if you qualify, but in the UK, that's not the case. If you have a certain amount of assets, whether it's liquid cash or property, you are responsible to pay for your costs. I was just reading a very interesting article yesterday on. Um, a couple who saved up, saved up all their life and for their retirement they bought a beautiful home by the water. But then the wife developed dementia and soon after the husband did. Because they had the assets and equity, they had to spend half a million pounds, which is almost a million dollars for their care and they exhausted all their savings by the time they deceased. They lost everything.
3: So I would say that's that may not be that much different um, in the United States. No.
5: No, I understand in the United States there isn't a, um, a government social support system that provides it. So I believe people have to pay privately for the Correct, care. For,
3: assisted, for assisted living. For assisted living, in, that's in, correct. If, if you're in a nursing home environment and uh, you want to get... Um, uh, subsidized by the government you have to spend down your assets to a certain amount or it's, right. it's a complicated so, process unless you put them in trust or move yeah. your assets around and I think it's up to seven years now that they look uh, back. Yeah,
5: so something similar to the UK
4: Right. I think financial uh, issues are are definitely very significant, and uh, Phyllis, as we move forward, we will need to address those and help our listeners uh, come up with options. Um, Yesterday at our OLIVE program, we had... uh, uh, presentation from this insurance product that is offering um, long-term care, and I'm going to investigate that further and see what information we can bring to our listeners. Rajiv, coming back to assisted living, how? What has been your experience in families' decision making and the whole process of going from? Uh, Uh, from living at home with loved ones to moving into a facility in general population plus uh, in the, you know, culturally diverse population?
5: Uh, it's a great question. I think um, what happens is assisted living is, it comes to a situation where the person um, most times are still um, mentally irrational, physically still in a shape where they are mobile to some degree, they're able to make a decision, and when they become a part of a community in an assisted living, it doesn't matter what assisted living it is. It's easier because they're still able to, you know, mentally they're still alert enough and they still have the capacity where they can make friends and they can connect and they understand why. Um, the reason is a lot of it the re- people come into assisted living is because where they live, um, they're social isolation, they're lonely, they're not able to prepare their meals, they have some requirements for personal care needs. They have help, they need help with medication management. So all those factors are taken into account in an assisted living. Plus you have an added benefit of having many other people living with you around you who are in a similar category. So that's a great point about assisted living. In the beginning when I started about 13 odd years ago here in Canada, the concept was still new but I would say it's become extremely popular and also from um, it actually saves people to go into nursing care. It prolongs their lifespan. Uh, I know many people who have been living in assisted living for 10, 12 years, uh, and had they not been in assisted living, there's a good chance they would have gone into uh, nursing care a long time ago. So assisted living really promotes their uh, health, makes improvements, uh, and gets their better quality of life.
3: Well, I think that you bring up an interesting point. Because uh, nowadays, uh, assisted livings provide different levels of care. It's not only a social community. It is primarily a social community, but there are levels of care that they can provide. Uh, and they. a lot of assisted livings also have memory care units. So there are people who may, in the past, have moved into a nursing home situation, who now could possibly think about an assisted living as either an interim measure or interim measure or some place where they can can live comfortably. Is that the same in Canada?
5: I think you know the whole process of assisted living has really evolved since I've been involved with that. Um, we are supported by a particular health authority. And the criteria that used to happen for assisted living in 2004-05 is not the criteria anymore. Um, The things we were trying, the services we were trying to offer 15 years ago, they said, oh, no, you can't because that will classify you as residential or nursing care. And now they appreciate when you offer those kind of services. For example, having a a doctor, GP, visiting the facility, you know, 15 years ago, they wouldn't encourage that. They said, no, 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 people should go to the the doctor. But now because people are living longer, they're aging, um, there's a lot of people living in assisted living who are in their 80s and 90s. And therefore, um, the government is trying to make it easier. by offering more services in assisted living. And they even are changing the levels of care, uh, the, the number of hours you can provide. That's been constantly reviewed and increased. So obviously what you're saying, Phyllis, is, is absolutely right that the, it's evolving and they're trying to um, look at the population demographics and based on the population changes, they are changing the services the services that are being provided in assisted living as well.
3: You also mentioned something about cultural diversity. Uh, what do you think are the greatest challenges to providing care for a, a culture, culturally diverse population and in the area where you are is there a lot of cultural diversity uh, in assisted living communities?
5: Oh, yeah, that's another great question. Where we, uh, the authority I work um, with, uh, we have specific care homes which are for uh, South Asian population, we have specific homes which are for Japanese population, we have specific homes which are for Chinese population, and we have specific homes for European population like people from Sweden, people from Finland, uh, people from Norway. So, so it's a very, um, the area we live in in um, BC, it's a very uh, culturally uh, mixed population. And what happened is, uh, because people from different cultures prefer to stay, uh, especially in their older age, they prefer to eat the foods they're used to or speak the language they've been used to or be around with people who are familiar to them. So a lot of specific cultural, culturally-based facilities are being supported by the health system in B.C.
3: That's And i give you some
5: examples, like we have a separate home for Japanese, Chinese, South Asian, as well as various European populations.
3: That's incredible.
5: That is incredible. Really so let big. me ask you
3: this. It really is incredible. So let me ask you this. how, uh, What is the cultural makeup of the caregivers that are caring for those people?
5: I think what happens is people who are working in a certain facility, for example, people who are um, working in a facility which predominantly has Japanese or Chinese background seniors, obviously they're going to have staff there who speak their language. You know, so similarly with other other groups as well. When you have, because when people are older, a lot of them revert back to their mother tongue. that could be in Canada for 50, 60 years, but when they're older, a lot of them end up speaking, you know, German or. Swedish or Norwegian or Punjabi or Hindi or uh, whatever their mother tongue has been. So the staff, um, the staff, um, diversification is there. The language support is there.
3: So they recruit caregivers from those specific communities.
5: I think uh, a lot of caregivers in the areas they are they are multilingual. Like we have caregivers who speak multiple languages. I speak five myself. So. so that's not a problem. You know, uh, it's important to make the seniors feel comfortable. So if you are speaking in their own language, uh, they feel more comfortable. You're able to understand the stories better. You're able to be aware of the culture better. So yes.
3: I agree. That that is, a, I think, an, a great challenge in this country, which is meeting the cultural needs of of those in. Various kinds of facilities, and that's right. the focus of, of all community services, isn't it, Rubina, about definitely. cultural diversity and meeting the needs of culturally diverse populations?
4: Definitely, definitely it is. Uh, Rajiv, we've talked about the, the, the client the participant, uh, I don't want yeah. to use the word uh, patient, the resident. Yeah. How about the, your experience with the families? Because assisted living, the decision to have the senior go to assisted living, I'm sure is a, is a, uh, has multifacets. What has been your experience?
5: Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's very interesting because, you know what, each client, each family has a different reason to go into an assisted living um a, a, a very um uh, one of the, i would say a popular reason is that uh, both children are working if they have adult grandchildren they are out and about either at university or doing their own stuff so the senior person is left alone at home all by themselves the their children the adult children do their best to make sure that their medication is done on time their meals are left there um they get the support coming into them but at the end of the day, they are lonely, they're by themselves. There's no guarantee when you go to work whether your parent has had their food, did they take their medication. If you call them, they don't answer the phone. What happens? You panic, and you, you go over there. Maybe they dozed off, they were tired, they slept, or they didn't put the phone right, so you try to call them. So that, in my experience, has been one of the main reasons that the social isolation and the lack of uh, regular diet Um, not regular medication, they're not able to take regular medication, and risk factors, for example, falls or maybe wandering or they could leave the stove on. Uh, So things like that are the risk factors, social isolation, improper diet, not regular medication. Those are many of the factors where the seniors are considered at risk being at home, and that's one of the reasons where um the families and the seniors have considered to uh, be a part of an assisted living.
3: I'm sure those are very difficult conversations for people to have. Uh, they, they are, I'm sure, are situations where people are grappling when, when to have that conversation, how to have that conversation. Some situations are easier than others. I've spoken to people who said their own parents made the decision to move into an assisted living. But what recommendation would you give to families about when to start to think about having this these kinds of conversations or how to introduce this topic?
5: I think you start to evaluate your parents' um, needs as to where they are, what they are doing. Are they able to take the, manage their personal care? Are they taking their medication properly? How are their memories going? Do they eat properly? Is their diet getting, is their, sorry, their health improving or uh, deteriorating? So you start to look at all the factors and look at what support is available. I mean, my own parents, I'll leave an example. They've been living by themselves for a good 10, 12 years now. And gradually it got to a stage where my mother just could not continue to be with my dad because her needs were much higher. So we've been contemplating for the last two years, what do we do? So we put in, I mean, there's me and my siblings, we all put in a lot of hours to support them. Um, We had private cleaners. We would bring food from home. We would have caregivers coming to support them. I put in private cleaning people. But still, having tried all of that, it got to a stage where My mother was not able to have a good quality of life, so as a family we made a decision to place her in a suitable assisted living, and which which she did, and she's only been there about eight weeks or so, but you can see her quality of life has improved so much, she's getting her medication on time, she's getting her meals on time, she's getting caregivers on the premises, she can call somebody in an emergency, the nurse is available 24-7, and you know, my dad is happier, she's happier and it's a win-win situation for everybody.
3: Well, that sounds wonderful. That sounds great. So we only have a few seconds left. Is there anything that you would like to say or uh, parting information that you would like to provide to the listeners?
5: I would just say be aware of the needs of the seniors, whether they are parents, grandparents, uncles, relatives. Understand what their needs are. Understand, do they need support? Don't feel whether what the people are going to say, what the society is going to say, what the culture is going to say. If they need support, please provide them appropriate support. There are a lot of facilities. People can, you can go into an assisted living and talk to somebody. You can visit them. You can read on material online. There's assisted living, a lot of information available. And do the best you can for the seniors in time. Don't leave it too late. Don't leave it at a stage where they go past the criteria for assisted living and they end up in a a nursing home because in assisted living you can maintain a very good quality of life for the senior person.
4: Rajiv, thank you very, very much for sharing your thoughts with us.
3: Thank you. It's uh, a pleasure. So we're going to take a short break and uh, thanks again to Rajiv and uh, when we return we'll continue the discussion on residential needs assisted living.
0: Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phylliseldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private. Sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of all of community services of 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions Caregiver's face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, Blackberry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amen and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy.
2: Welcome back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. This is Rubina Chaudhry with Phyllis Amen, and in this section we're going to talk about how to select assisted living facilities. What are some of the questions that can be that can be and need to be asked? And that's uh, also an area of research that Phyllis has focused in uh, quite considerably.
1: Phyllis, will you lead us with that uh, conversation? Sure, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Rubina. So, uh, as as looking for anything, you should do your research and have a number of questions and know what your needs are um, before you even go into the situation. But I would say uh, one of the important questions to ask going into look for an assisted living, first and foremost, is what are the costs? And as we talked about in, a pre- in the previous segment that there are, uh, there are various insurances or Medicaid uh, allowances for assisted living nowadays, uh, that would be an important question to ask. What are the costs? Uh, assisted living is known to cost less than skilled nursing facilities or nursing homes. However, uh, a lot of those costs uh, uh, Monies are out of pocket. In addition, um, you would need to know the levels of care that they provide, as we talked about, but are there increased costs for those levels of care? So if you go in as an independent person, and let's say it costs, I don't know, I'm just saying $5,000 a month. I don't know, I'm just throwing it out. But let's say you do need help with bathing or toileting or getting in and out of bed, uh, and they do have staff available to help you with that, are there additional costs for that? So I would say that that would be an important question to ask because, let's face it, you may go in at one level, but then as you get older, your needs may increase. So I would say that first and foremost, that's an important question to ask. De- definitely and the,
2: i think uh, the nursing or the assisted living started mostly as a private pay system but now there has been evolution in uh, in that uh, in that area mm-hmm.
1: correct and uh, other important questions would be how much staff is available how is that staff trained um, are there staff available 24 hours a day However, I think it's an important uh, piece of information for people to know that assisted livings are not required to have a nurse on staff. Um, th- that's a myth. They're not required to have around-the-clock licensed nursing staff. So if you want a facility that offers... 24/7 around the clock staff you should either a ask up front b ask if they don't provide it if you are allowed to pay for it yourself and have somebody with you or c your care needs may be such that assisted living may not be for you. I mean, we're talking about how the the growth of assisted livings, the, popula- the popularity of assisted livings, but that doesn't negate the fact that there are situations where people do need to be in a nursing home or skilled nursing facility. I think that's important for us to say. Oh, definitely,
2: definitely.
1: Um, I would say some other questions would be... Um, what's what services um, you know, what different foods do they provide? What different uh, as Rajiv was talking about, if your loved one comes from a, a specific uh, area with certain food preferences or, speaks a certain language do they have caregivers that can communicate with them that's such something that's near and dear to my heart as a speech pathologist and a communications person I've seen so many situations where people are in a in a facility and there are no caregivers that speak their language I it's it's such a mismatch I can't imagine being in that situation myself mm-hmm. yeah, no, very very important very important Um, I think that it's also important for people to realize one of the beauties of assisted livings is that you really have your own apartment, so to speak, and not all assisted livings are high rises. As a matter of fact, now there are assisted living residential homes, but not all are, are these huge apartment looking buildings, but you do have, it really is like your own apartment. So you have the independence of locking locking your door, which you wouldn't have in a nursing home or a skilled nursing facility. You, you really do have privacy, you have autonomy, you have independence. That's really what people are seeking when they have to move from their home situation into a different kind of living situation. People don't want to give that up. Oh, Definitely. And that just reminds me
2: that in my mom's uh, unit, she has a pantry, Oh, and cool! She, I mean, it's so cool. She can store some of her favorite things, you know. And I just, I see her going into her pantry with flat pleasure, you know. It's it, it's really a replication of of independent living with uh, with support where needed.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's terrific. I think there are also myths that um, that people who are wheelchair dependent. Um, cannot reside in an assisted uh, living, and that's not really true either. Um, I thought that myself up until not that long ago. Um, also, if people have, um, you know, incontinence issues, it doesn't mean that they can't live in a nurse in an assisted living facility. They just have to be able to demonstrate that they can manage it.
2: Definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. There are, I think I remember reading someplace along the line that there are states that, for instance, if someone has uh, diabetes and requires uh, administration of um, medication for that, whether it's by um, injection um, or, or otherwise, that there are some states that allow staff members to administer um, mm. injections for people who are di- diabetic, well, that's interesting.
2: I, I know that uh, these facilities do pay attention to the diet uh, because my mom's on dialysis and she has the, the kidney dialysis, the no sodium diet. Uh, but I have not had the need to ask for that question whether they would administer something like that. But that, that's interesting.
1: Uh, yeah, isn't it though? I thought so. Yeah, I, I actually thought so. And uh, I mean, there are many people. It, it seems to me that um, because you're diabetic and require an injection of insulin, that shouldn't mean, I mean, it's not for me to say that, but right. it, it shouldn't mean that you can't live in an assisted living facility if that's all the care that you really need. So I think it's wonderful that there are some states that are moving in that direction.
2: That's that's wonderful. And and I think as we move forward with our research and, and we will find out um how many are doing that i wouldn't be surprised to say that majority of the the facilities that have a nurse on call or or, or uh, uh you know or uh, you know one of the lpns right, the, right. The, uh-huh. not rn but the the other the assistant nurse per se uh, that they would be able to do something like that but that's something worth asking if that is then that is the need yeah
1: Uh, There's also something else. Sometimes people don't want to give up their independence when it comes to driving, which is a, um, that can be a sticky issue. As a matter matter of fact, I had read a statistic a while back that 40% of families are more comfortable discussing their parents' funeral arrangements than they are the (laughs) fact that maybe the person can no (laughs) longer drive. So I think uh, there is a myth that you're not allowed to drive your car if you're living in an assisted living community, but uh, that's not really true. If you can operate your vehicle safely, uh, you do not have to relinquish your driving rights or give up the rights to your car.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, that's 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 very, very true. And uh, uh, we're coming to the, the last few minutes of our segment uh, and our program, uh, Phyllis. And one of the things that we want to talk about, and Rajiv hinted into it, is that uh, we need to plan by choice, not by crisis. So let's, uh, let's talk for a moment on what some of the things that we can do and what families need to do uh, to... To have this conversation.
1: Uh, well, that's very true. I, I tell that to people all the time. And I think we uh, hinted on that in the first segment yes, as well. And um, it's about thinking about this much earlier. You said you were proactive and you bought a gift for yourself and for your, your family by purchasing long term care insurance. I, as I said, I'm 66. I've never had this conversation with my children. Um, I probably should. I have one son who lives uh, near you, Rubina, in LA, right. mm-hmm. and I have a daughter who lives not that far from me, but she has young children. And I think it's a, a conversation we probably should have because anything can happen to us at any time. And what are my preferences? What am I? You know? What do I want? What What do I? Um, Mm-hmm. what what did, would she be able to do what would she be willing to do what facilities are in the community where that surround where i live that that might be places that i might be interested in i've actually thought of going and looking at some of them and mm-hmm. starting from now and i think that's something people should do it's it's not an easy thing but as i tell tell people we all do plan for in case mm-hmm. of Uh, different things. You can't get car insurance when you're in a car accident. And most of us have medical insurance. And as I said earlier, um, I've bought um, um, burial insurance. So if I've done that, then I am thinking about those things. We just don't want to think about losing our independence. But I think we should encourage our listeners to start those conversations with their families.
2: You know, one of the conversations that uh, we're having in Olive, And we talk about it jokingly is to and, you know, there's always a reality to jokingly as well to have a a complex sort of apartments where where friends can have apartments near each other. We can have a common kitchen, common, you know, so that we are near each other and we are supporting each other. And that is probably, you know, the other part, which is independent living and you're close to uh, close to your your friends or people at the same age or same uh, same interest, and we've seen a lot of these complexes, some huge, huge complexes, uh, uh, all over the country, all over the country, where people are living together and have common dining rooms. And uh, the other uh, the other thing, the thing that I noticed in uh, this article is this uh, progressive care facilities, right. You know, where you have the independent living and then you have assisted living and then you have the the nursing the nursing home, but they're in the same general complex.
1: Right, the continuum so. of care. So I just want to comment on something. We just have a few seconds left, but it's interesting that you said that about friends living near each other. So I told you the other night I heard from somebody that was, I haven't spoken to in, I don't know, maybe 15 years. We were friends and they moved to different parts of the country and her husband passed away. Uh, a few months ago and she reached back out to me because she, she doesn't have that many friends where she's living and like you said there's a comfortability in being near being somebody or them. connecting with someone that you've known for a long time but I think we're coming to the end of our show today and uh, I'm hoping we will listeners to- will return next week and we'll continue talking about all different kinds of topics, elder care conversations as we say
2: definitely we will Thank you Terrific.
1: Thanks, Rubina.
0: Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.